This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to Everyday Theology, where we don't tell you what to believe or how to think, but discuss why people believe what they do and why it matters. On this journey, we will speak with artists, curators, influencers, and pastors. I'm Aaron Ross. And I'm Ben Gomez. Awesome. Today we have uh, one of my good friends, uh, Brad Lominick, with us on the podcast. I'm excited um, just because when I was personally going through some transition in my own life back in 2015, he wrote a book called H3 Leadership that was phenomenal, that really gave me perspective as to what God was doing in my life. And so today we get to hear uh, and glean from his wisdom. So Brad, tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your background, and uh, we're excited to have you on the podcast today. Thank you, Professor Ben. Are you doctor, by the way? Ooh, I do have a doctorate. Dr. Ben, excuse he's, me, he's Dr. Gomez. Be, he's going to be double doctor in a couple of years. What does that mean? If you're a double doctor, he's you getting, get to put like that twice on your, on your, I hope he does. I don't know. On Maybe your name? Increase in pay. No, I'm just kidding. There we go. Uh, Come on. <laughs> hey, uh, it's good to be here with you guys. And thanks for letting me share a few thoughts. So if you cut me open, I bleed Jesus and I bleed leadership. That's sort of my two things I'm probably most passionate about. So worked for John Maxwell for a bunch of years, uh, was part of starting Catalyst, led that for a decade plus. And then the last few years I've been hanging out in smaller environments, but not necessarily less influential, just smaller curated under the radar. I sort of went from the, you know, the, the, the spotlight to the shadows in terms of where I'm spending my time the last four or five years and written a couple of books, H3 leadership being one of those. And Catalyst Leader was the first one. So Brad, let's, um, let's talk a little bit about kind of like your transition um, from catalyst, um, into what you said, the stage to the shadows, um, and what kind of led you there, um, as we set up the rest of our talk. Sure. Well, all of us as leaders at some point are going to go through transitions of, of vocation. And for me, that was a big one. You know, the, the transition from leading catalyst, which had become, over a decade plus had become a movement. I mean, I don't like to say that we were a movement because movements are God breathed, but I think we were uh, based on just sort of, you know, looking back at it, but I was turning 40. Uh, there was, there was this sense that we had started catalyst for young leaders and all of us were in our twenties when we started it. And now I was that guy that was 40 that we sort of not made fun of, but we said, this is not for you. Mm. And, you know, wow. when you get to that point, when you're sort of at the pinnacle of your vocational career or you're leading something and then you look at it and go, I'm not the target anymore. You got to ask some questions of, is this the right seat for me to sit in on the bus? And so there was a bunch of things that happened. You know, my my leadership had gotten a little stale in terms of the way I was leading. You know, when you carry the weight of something, 
It always right. starts to crush you and you, you get spit out usually towards your default, which is not necessarily always healthy. So all those things were swirling in the hot tub uh, at that point in terms of transition. And so I, I had a guy that was in my life that he, he spoke some, I would say some prophetic truth into me. And he just said, I think you're done. I think, I think you need to transition to a new season. Not because, not because you, you can't continue to lead this movement, but because there's certain things that only you can do that you need to be working on. And so that was it. I mean, it was, and it, it, at the end of the day, like it felt like a big deal, but really nobody cared. I mean, we all think, oh my gosh, personally, I thought, well, what's going to happen? And the reality was the, the, the majority of leaders who were connected to Catalyst were like, that's good. That's great. Like, thanks for transitioning, but yeah, it doesn't really yeah. bother us, you know? And sometimes we think as the leader that this is going to be some massive thing when in reality, the people who are your customers just look at it as something normal. Well, why do you think in kind of that, that story there, why do you think so many leaders, especially since you know, you know, so well connected, you know, quite a few people and leaders, why do you think so many leaders are afraid to take that step of going, okay, maybe my time in this place is done and I need to like open up the door for someone actually else to lead it completely and kind of step away. Well, a lot of times it's fear. It's fear of the unknown, but it's also fear that I'm I'm now going to get put out to pasture. Like I've I've reached my pinnacle. Yeah. And therefore the next season is going to be I'm on the JV team. I'm on the B team or you know, I I moved from the NFL to like to like, you know, the the mini league and <laughs> indoor arena. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Or I'm, you know, I I was playing in the Premier League in soccer and now I'm like 8th division in in England where nobody shows up to the game. So I think that's a lot of it is that there's for many of us, and this doesn't mean, this isn't always that because you're at the top of the organization either. This yeah. happens if you're a student pastor. This happens if you're an intern. This happens if you're the the high school quarterback. This happens when you're a middle manager. You know, so we always think succession or transition is most important when you're leading at the top of the food chain. But it has to be healthy at every level. Because think of the high school, again, going back to the high school quarterback, you know. The guy who was who was a big deal in high school, all stater. Yeah. And now he's 23 and he's coming back still wearing his letter jacket, showing up at football practice. Yeah. And you're you're looking at this guy going, bro, first of all, you're creeping us out a little bit. Adam Sandler movie. Exactly. But but they're, you know, they still want to be in the glory days. They wanna they wanna still have that sense that that, you know, they're the, the hero on campus. Yeah. And, and this is, you know, we got to move on. Like we got, we have to, and transitions, nothing is wrong with transitions. Yeah. In fact, they're healthy. But sometimes again, because we, we now got to the top of the mountain that we thought was our mountain. Now we've, we naturally end up like keeping people from also joining us at the top of the mountain Yeah, compared to, Hey, like the view is great up here. Why don't you come up and look at this and I'll, step back down and go climb another mountain. Yeah. Now, if I can pivot for a second, I know a lot of the work you've been doing lately has been with young leaders, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and I say mid, mid leaders. Younger. Uh, you can younger, call some, some of us younger. Younger. We're not, we're not young, leaders, we're just younger. Wiser leaders. Yeah. Um, and it's helping them be healthy. Now, my understanding is that uh, Mora, uh, let me get her name right here. 
Uh, she's a clinical psychologist. Ben's yeah. Ben's putting his password into his uh, iPad. iPad, definitely. I'm watching. I'm trying to, yeah. yeah, yeah. Maura Aaron's Mele. She's a clinical psychologist. She talks about the anxious achiever. Yeah. Right. This this smooth extroverted social interaction that people have, but then they're introverts off the stage. And there's this cultural pressure to perform at a high level. Mm -hmm. Now, you and I have had many personal private conversations about burnout, about the feeling of I have to perform. I have to do this. I have to keep up with the Joneses. You know, our attendance has to be up in our organization. We have to have the products that people like. We want to keep people. And so when we talk about that with leaders, what's one way that we can help leaders be whole? Hmm. Right. Be whole, like be good off the stage, on the stage, in meetings, in private, in public life. And I know you've done a lot of work with this. Um, we yeah. we climbed a mountain together. I know you're going to share that story. Oh, I'm so, going to. <laughs> I know you are. Where I was struggling. I get it. It was pre-triathlon days. Um, you look so, you're, you're, you're looking better today, though. Thank I you, mean, thank you. I appreciate now it. that we're, what, 18 months removed from our mountain experience. Yes, yes, yes. Well, let, I, let me let me give just one thought on that, because this is a big deal. I mean, the and you know, all of us are trying to navigate the downsides of the weight of leadership. It's true for every single one of us. Like we're, we're navigating the, the, the weight and what weight is turning into these days is anxiety. It's depression. It's frustration. It's, it's tendency towards thoughts we shouldn't be having. So I think a lot of it goes back to, um, to self-awareness. I mean, at the end of the day, like if, if you're a leader, who's not, truly dialed in on being self-aware and, and being authentic, you know, and authentic is the buzzword, but it's self-awareness. It's knowing yourself the way you're wired. So if, if you are an anxious, if you're an achiever, like I'm an Enneagram three, yeah, I'm an ENTJ. I'm a, I'm a high D and I, high Come I on, on the Myers. ENTJ, let's go. On the, I know. On the disc finder. Wait, are we all three ENTJs? Wow. Oh, you are too? Yeah. And I'm also a three on the Enneagram. So no, I'm Hello. a one and equally an eight. Yes. But we, you know, like when we talk this language, first of all, we all know now between the three of us, we know the way we're wired. Yeah. So I know what my, my downsides are when I'm, when I'm unhealthy, I know the, 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 the direction I head when I'm healthy, I know what it looks like. Yeah. And I also give permission then when I'm more self-aware, I give permission to people around me to actually help me lead them better. Yeah. And you know, if we don't, but if we're not willing to be self-aware, then we're navigating so many of the things that, that we think are sin many times that are actually just, that's just the way God's wired us. And, and we've got to be like ruthlessly dedicated to self-awareness. And, and for me, this has been, it's the idea that I'm constantly trying to, I'm constantly trying to discover my um, places of contentment because the more content I am, the more confident I become. Yeah. Humility, humility is not, I don't think humility is actually, um, or let me say it this way. I don't think, I don't think arrogance is the opposite of humility. I think insecurity is. Yeah. And out of insecurity comes arrogance out of insecurity comes. I'm, I'm trying too hard. I'm faking it. I am the anxious overachiever. So the more, the more humble you are, the more self-aware you are, which means the more content you are, which means the more confident you are. So your quote on page 27. Oh gosh, you're going to like specific <laughs> quotes. Yes, yes. Like I'm supposed to remember this from four Don't years ago. Me. I'm going right. to give you the quote uh, because I have it here in my notes. Meekness is not weakness. Yeah. It's power under control. It's ambition grounded with humility and lived out in confidence, not arrogance. There it is. Yeah, that's right? it. I think. 
And we think meekness, you know, we, we think of the, you know, the Sermon on the Mount and that meekness, many of us would, would translate that as weakness or it's, oh, you just run over me. I'll, 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 I'll sit back. I'll let you go ahead. Meekness is, is actually, is the, is the picture of beautiful power. It's like the racehorse that's appropriately bridled, you know, compared to the racehorse who is not appropriately bridled. And it now either it's, it's just frustrated and it bucks you off or it, it runs away with you. <laughs> yeah. And Brad knows about this because when we were in Colorado, um, he okay, took can a I tell the story to, now? Okay, good. So Lost Valley Ranch, this incredible place in Colorado where a bunch of us uh, young bucks went and go every year. And Ben was there a couple of years ago. We ride horses, which, you know, I do have some experience in Which I'm a city slicker. Like I did not grow up riding horses. I grew up in New York City and I just Boston. wish I could have seen that. I have More a video. Anything. I can show you after. Okay, yeah, he's got a video. I need to see it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you felt, how did you feel else. when you were on the back of the horse? I felt great because we had lessons and right. you told us what to do. Yeah, and yeah. you gave us perfect instruction. And, and just, I had the right attire, unlike the hike. <laughs> so the hike, the, the horseback riding went well, but the hike. And this this was this was like a, it was a test of, of will. Yes. So we get, there's probably 15 of us. And we, yes. And, and Ben is, we sort of drug you along. Yes, you, you did. Are, you weren't really interested in the hike, no. but you, you went along because you I wanted you're, to read. I wanted to play video games. But you also went along just because you were interested in the conversation. Correct. And the, and the community. Like, yes. We had some good dudes that were climbing this hike. So we get maybe, uh, well, about a quarter of the way up, you're, you're starting to drag a little yeah. bit behind. Yeah. And the, the air shifted yeah. on me. Well, the air gets, it gets thinner the higher you go up. It shifted on me. Leadership lesson number one. There's less oxygen when you're at the top of the mountain. You've just never experienced a, not Florida mm, community air. But you Correct. got to a yeah. certain point. Where I was like. You, were, uh, you said, I'm done. I'm, I'm going back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a point where we had to literally climb this cliff. We had to, we had to like, use our hands. and yeah. I'm like, what is this? This ain't, this ain't the hike I grew up going on. <laughs> like, if we go to Massachusetts, I can take you to some nice trails. Right. Some nice roads. Right. I'm like, we have to do what? No, it was, it was a little more intense than probably. And that was a lot healthier back then. Well, you, so you get to this point and you basically look at all of us and say, I'm going back. And or you can leave me right here. Yeah. Or, or I'll and stay and wait. Around. I'll wait on you guys to get, and I, and I, you know, I, I, I don't know if these are the right words, but, but I basically said, no, you're, you're going to the top with us. Yes. Very nicely said. Yes. Yeah. And we will slow down and we will wait on you as long as we need to, but yeah. you're going to go to the top of the mountain with us. And so begrudgingly, you yes. sort of went along. Yes. And then your pressure is real. Once we got up there, then obviously the, the view was incredible. Right. Um, you, but, but here's the lesson I think from that, there was many lessons, but uh, don't let people who are in your circle not go to the top of the mountain with you. Right. If, if you're leading them or you're part of, of the team, you know, our part of our job as leaders is to take people with us because you wouldn't have gotten there. No. Without our, without our encouragement, without our forcing you in many ways, you would have said, I'm done. I'm stopping right here. Right. I'll wait till you guys get back down. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's, it's key, right? I think that there's people in our circle that we know have more in them. Yes. We know that there's a calling, there's an anointing, there's a giftedness. And uh, many times we we're okay with them just staying where they're at and saying, okay, well, that's you. That's not me. And I think what you showed me was, no, man, we, if we're here, if we started together, we're going to finish together. Right. And I'll take as long as I need to, to make sure that you cross the finish line. And, and so, like you said, pull like uh, appropriately 
pulling out the best of people, not being willing to let them settle for what they think is the sort of the limit of their abilities, but actually saying, no, there's more in you. And I'm going to, I'm going to force you to, in many ways, get into your uncomfort zone. Yeah. I I like, I like this idea in so many ways, but maybe help us then think about like, how can you do that as a leader, unless you know the people deeply that you're leading? Well, Mm. you just, you just made your point. Right. Yeah. But but maybe expound on it some, because I don't know, right. As as the position that I'm in, like, yeah, I've got some students that I lead and I get to call things out on them, but I'm not a high level kind of leader in that way. Like, what are some ways in which we leaders can think about like knowing their people and how do you do that as you kind of grow and you have even more people? Yeah. Well, I mean, knowing your people requires that you get to know your people. I mean, truly like it's, that, that is, that is not rocket science and it doesn't, you don't wait till again, you get to the top of the organization to now become a person who has empathy or, or a leader who cares about the people that have been entrusted to you. Yeah. And this is, this is the requirement of every single level in the organization is, you know, like there's certain people who are in your slipstream. Yeah. And my, and my job, whoever's in my slipstream is to actually bring the best out of them. Yeah. And that, that's actually the way you, you get promoted. I mean, the, the way you do that role, but so many of us today, especially we're, we're thinking, well, I'll wait till I get to whatever feels like it's important. Yeah. The, the title, whatever title is important that I'll wait till then until I start to really be a people person and care about people and release them. And no, this starts, you know, it starts when you're the intern. Yeah. You got other interns, you can, you can fully release and get to know them. And um, this is why EQ guys, men and women, I say guys, men and women listening, EQ is equally important. In fact, it might be more important today in leadership yeah. Yeah. compared to not just IQ, but actually all the other pieces. I mean, the emotional intelligence you have as a leader, empathy, caring, um, knowing people who you're leading, actually believing the best in them, being able to have conversations with them, pulling out the things in them that they don't even see. This is all part of that, that, that new reality. Cause the, the more digital and the more robotic we become, the more we need like actual people skills. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think, I think that to kind of throw it into this like kind of like theological twist here, I think that's really important, especially as we look at the life of Jesus, because oftentimes we can read the words of Jesus and we don't actually assume his emotional intelligence because it kind of, we flatten the story out and yeah. go, Oh, Jesus looks at uh, Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. Like, okay, he does that. But we don't actually think about the, the space that it took to create that moment for Jesus to be able to say that to Peter and to have Peter go, well, Jesus knows me. Hmm. Right. Where I think sometimes we hear that when someone might say it to us and like, Hey, you're doing something dumb. You know, a leader comes to us and like, Hey, you're, you're leading, you're leading bad or you're not doing what you should be doing. But there is not that emotional intelligence, healthiness between the two. And also we go, well, who are you to say that to me? And you, and this well, goes, relational change. Yeah. yeah. This goes back to, this all goes again, back to self-awareness as a Enneagram three. Hello. Yep. Yep. My tendency is not to get to know people. Yeah. My tendency is to see people as a cog in the wheel of process that will push me to the, to the top of the food chain. Oh, very much. Right? Yeah. I want to yeah. win. I want, I, you're, you're now competition. If I'm not careful, right. you know, you're now in my way compared to no part of my job is to, is to, is to believe the best in people and actually 
speak into them and build them up. But if, if I'm wired a certain way, I have to know that in order for not only me to be more intentional about it for, but for also for people around me to call me out when I'm not doing it. Yeah. Like this is, this is why, this is why it's so important for all of us to know the way we're wired is then people on your team actually then have permission to speak truth into you. Yeah. Way more than they could before. As soon as everybody knows, oh, Brad, you're, that's the, that's why you, you look at me that way at, at certain points. And I thought you were just mean. I thought you were just mad at me. I thought you were just frustrated. I thought I said something wrong. No, it's just the way I'm wired. Yeah. Yeah. I, for, for everyone who's listening, I'll throw in some like show notes on, uh, uh, MBTI and Enneagram. If you don't know what it is, go take a look. It's going to be, it's, it's no, nobody has, nobody has permission anymore to say, oh, well, I don't know where to start. There's so many resources that allow you not just spiritual yeah. assessments, but also now um, what we would consider to be, I guess, more mental or cognitive or you guys are the you guys are the academics. Yeah, it's it's the recognizing ourselves as whole selves, our bodies right. and our souls as as integrated things, not, oh, there's my spiritual self and then there's my physical self that's just right. there. But no, it's all, it's all what right. What I do compared to who I am. Which yeah. I, I love what you said, because especially as an ENTJ, right? So talking about that MBTI, uh, I learned something about myself as it related to my own kind of uh, being with other people and emotionally intelligence is that I learned that as I got tired, simple statements would come off as what I felt like someone was attacking me. Right. Someone could just be like, oh, that's an interesting shirt. And I thought that I had like dressed like the worst human being of all time. Right. But really it's just because I was tired and I only got five hours the night before. Otherwise, if I would have slept eight hours and woken up, had a cup of coffee and felt good, I would have been like, oh yeah, it is an interesting shirt, isn't it? You know? And I think that's kind of part of what you're saying there with that being self-aware, even in terms of like our personality types mm -hmm. or being an achiever. Cause I have the same thing, right? I'm very often can just look at people and go, oh, that person can help me do this. Right. I don't look at that person and go, oh, that person's a great person and they're killing it at what they do. And how can I help them do what they're doing? Yeah. I go, oh, they can help me get this thing done. And personality tests also are not an excuse. So right, you, you right. can't stay where you are. You always have to, you need to know where you are and then get better. So I can't say, well, I'm an Enneagram three, I'm an ENTJ. So that's just the way I lead. Get used to it. Yeah. I'm a jerk most of the time. Yeah. So that's the way it rolls around here. No, that that's, you're that not is, a jerk. You're not a jerk. But I that's short sighted that. for me to say, oh, that's just the way I'm wired. Right. Compared to, I know how I'm wired and now I'm going to become more like Jesus yeah. And I'm going to continue to improve and get better and be more healthy and whole, which allows for me to be the best expression of the leader I can be. Right. Not, well, I'm just going to stay here because now I know where I, the way I'm wired. And so you guys just have to put up with it. Right. And I think it's easy to do that, especially as a three. For me, as yeah. an achiever, it's so easy for me to just go, Think well, that's just who I am. You just have to get used to it. I'm just going to kind of steamroll got it. moments and I'm just going to steamroll what I need to do to get the thing done. Think that I need of to get the done. coaches. Think of the coaches in college athletics who are who are navigating a new form of student athlete and going, hey, if y'all don't like it, this is I've been coaching this way for yeah. 30 years. So if you don't like it, go play somewhere else. You know what's happening? Transfer portal. Exactly. And all these coaches are getting frustrated and mad. And I mean, I get it. This is short term mindset we're now living in and transfer free agent mentality. But that's also like you have to. You have to adjust as a leader yeah. at all different seasons in your career. And um, you can't just say, well, I've always led this way that I was led this way. So therefore I'm going to lead you this way. Yeah. It's not good enough anymore. And so um, that leads to excellence. 
right? Yeah. Um, one of the things you said in your book uh, in the later chapters, probably about page one thirty-five. Man, so, you, you're so specific with your with your pull with your quotes. It's for people to pull quotes. Follow along, you know. You said excellence. That's right. Go buy the book and, and yes. look it up in the book. Yeah. I'll give you a discount code. No, there we go. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, don't, I was. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> Nothing we looking for in the show notes. Right. Where Pin said uh, it was here. That's right. Excellence is about consistency. It is a mindset and a standard. Mm. And so as a young leader or a growing leader or a new leader um, that many of our listeners are, how do I practically develop excellence in my life, in my organization, um, the people I lead? How do I develop it? And then how do I maintain it? That's a great question. Uh, I would say developing it starts with don't rely on the organization that you're part of to actually set your standard. Now, it doesn't mean that your organization is a bad organization or that they're toxic or unhealthy or don't have standards, but you're, you should never settle for whatever um, authority you're under. So I'm, I would always say, um, you know, burn the handbook, like whatever hmm. the whatever the handbook is that you got yeah. in whatever organization you're part of, whether it's a church or a company or a, a university, there's something somewhere that's collecting dust yeah. that told you, like, here's the requirements burn that because the, the, the posture should be, I don't need a handbook yeah. to set my standard. And that, and that means that it's always going to be higher. Your standard is always, is always going to be higher. So take any area, take dress code, take time you're supposed to show up, take the job description, take the work you're required to do, take the responsibility that you now have, you know, sort of been put on your shoulders. Your standard should always be more than that. And it also is that you're 1% improvement daily like that. That's doable. I I can actually, I can actually do 1% improvement daily. Yeah. Um, And you're striving for perfection. And I use striving in a very like in quotes, because a lot of people use the word striving nowadays to it's, it's, it's starting to get a negative perception. Yeah. But the mindset is, I know I'm not going to hit perfection, but I want to try to pursue that. And again, so if you have certain areas, you know, that you've now like written down on your, you know, yellow pad. Hey, I want to, I want to be a, I want to, I want to learn in this area. I want to uh, improve my financial skills. I want to um, get better at communicating. you like, whatever it is for you in this season, write those down and then say, how do I get better? Like that? It's not rocket science again. To, yeah. to have this mindset. Right. But most of us, if we're honest, we settle for what, whoever is in charge of us. Yeah. And that's, again, like if you're, if you're working in a great organization that has really high standards, those might line up. But most of us, we, we start, we, we start to settle. It's what Seth Godin calls the dip. You know, like we get into whatever that dip is and, and then we start to just basically try to hide based on our standards. So hmm. don't get in trouble. Don't do too much. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but, but don't also don't do, you know, uh, too less because then you're going to get called into the principal's office or, you know, whatever yeah. that looks like for you. Yeah. And my response to that is that's the wrong conversation. You, you should be so much uh, more than that, where that's not even part of your, of your mindset. So, so how do, how do we find, Cause that so much sounds like a kind of like a cultural reality, right? Like the yeah. culture that's being set, um, by the people 
like almost kind of like if it's burn the handbook, it's not the culture set maybe by the organization, but by the people, but we have to find ways to help the people. Maybe if I'm thinking, if I'm hearing you right, help the people become healthy so that that's the culture that they create for themselves. Yes. And, and the, the thing about teams is when I'm on a team that I love being a part of, when I, when I'm part of a, an organization, but, but not just an organization, a team, like an actual yeah. team that I interact with, when that team, when we have, when we have standards individually that are pushing each of us to raise our standard, that's fun. Yeah. That's when it gets fun. Yeah. And all the Eagles, they flock to that kind of environment. All the buzzards, as this is a Dave Ramsey, you know, he talks about eagles and buzzards. All the buzzards don't like that because now they look, you know what they'd say to those other eagles? They say, hey, would you quit working so hard because now you're making me look bad? Yeah. Compared yeah. to would would you continue to work hard because you're you're pushing me? You're actually raising my standard. Yeah. I want to be in that kind of environment. Right. Why are you so excellent in what you do? I just want to be mediocre. <laughs> right. <laughs> I want to stay on the mediocre bus. And and this is the reality of, of a lot of people, if they're honest. And for some reason, at some point, they they moved into that dip. They moved into the default of of average or mediocre. And they didn't they never set out and said, Hey, by the time I'm 37, man, I wanna I wanna be a middle manager and Basically, just just exist <laughs> yeah. and survive, and yeah. don't don't rock the boat. But this is true in lots of categories of industry. Yeah, um, and you know, if if that's you and you're and you're you've settled, then you've got to be the one who starts to raise a standard again. I, I, as a story for me, I found that to be very true in a space where when I first started kind of doing music in like my late teens, I was terrible. And I knew it was terrible, but I wanted to do it. So what I did was I found a way into being with a team of people, like being on a band, that they were all phenomenal compared to me. Like mm -hmm. I was absolutely the worst person. Like if anything, I was the weakest link bringing them down. Yeah. But I found that being with them as phenomenal musicians that spent time practicing, that spent time learning theory, I spent time trying to understand what they did, it naturally made me do that same thing. You got it. Just by being around them uh, to the point where I would even count my mistakes. I'd go, all right, we played this set list. I made this many mistakes. I knew exactly where the stakes, mistakes were, and here's how I'm going to fix them next time. Uh, and naturally, I never even set out to do that. I was just like, if I'm going to be playing with them, I have to play at their standard. This is why the smart, if you're the, if you're the leader and you're the smartest person in the room, you need to get a different room. Wow. Um, yeah. But most of us, we, we create environments where we are the smartest if we're yeah. the leader because- because that makes us feel better because it, 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 it allows us to, you know, to create a hierarchical environment yeah, that is, yeah. is naturally easy to tell people what to do because, you know, but compared to, I want to be a leader who is surrounded by people who I, I look at and go, I don't belong in this room, Yeah, but I'm in charge. So therefore my job is to now curate and conduct. Yeah. The conductor as, as the leader today is much more of a better picture which the conductor has a tuba player and a flute player and a right, saxophone yeah, and a drummer yeah. who are, who would crush them. Right. If they had to, you know, sort of compare their skills. Yeah. That's a way better picture of a leader today compared to, um, you know, the best trombone player surrounded by C level trombone players. Yeah. Or even a trombone player by, with an orchestra who only knows how to direct the trombone players. You got it. And not the violins or I don't even know messing up the metaphor. No, but. it's great. I mean, it, 
that's the the picture though of a leader i think again today it's this has always been true but more today it's the it's the coach the conductor the curator the aggregator that's a picture of a leader today yeah not a boss yeah. not a not a industrial revolution driven we're on the we're on the you know the the factory floor and your job is to make a gidget yeah and yeah. if you don't do that gidget well then we're going to remove you from the factory floor this this kind of reminds me or maybe maybe you can speak to this how do we think about you know the leaders that we know are leaders that have the people around them that are just the yes yes people right like uh, i brought in people underneath me who will just say yes right versus the leader who comes and brings people into the room who are much better than them right w- what's the unhealthy disconnect there why why do we want the those yes people i think oh well because it makes us feel good yeah and 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 most of us we create that environment without knowing it yeah because we now will naturally start to elevate people who tell us what we want to hear, not what we need to hear. Yeah. I mean, this, this happens in every organization. So part of my job as a leader then is to find people and actually promote people who appropriately are truth tellers Yeah, and appropriately will speak back into me and not the brown noser. Cause we know what that looks like. Oh, yeah. Not the overachieving like type a who just wants my job and they're going to do everything in their power to sort of take me out of the game. Yeah. But the appropriately leading up type of leader who says, I want to help you get better and I'm going to tell you the truth. And I, and, and we need, we, we are starving for those kind of people, Yeah. but we naturally don't um, allow them most of the time to sit at the table. We push them away without even knowing it. Yeah. Wow. And so that leads me to this question uh, for our listeners. Uh, we have listeners that are listening to us right now and saying, okay, um, I lead an organization with 500 people. I lead an organization with thousands of people. Um, I'm getting better at my EQ. Uh, you're asking me to know the individuals. And so how can I, you know, coming in as a new leader to an organization that's already established or that has transitioned from one generation to another, how can I get to know the people? Like for me, it's like, man, 500 people, that's a lot of people in the organization or 200 people or yeah. 1500 or tens of thousands. Like, how do I get to know everybody or do I need to get to know everybody? You can't. It's not. So how do you help that individual that right possible. now is saying, Brad, what you're saying is, is, is too tall of a task. Yeah. Well, bite size here. Figure out what that, figure out what the, the circle is that you can actually get to know and then be really intentional within that circle. So, um, I, but it doesn't mean that you're not, you're not reaching out and, and trying to connect with people in the 500 or the, or the thousands or the 10,000s. I mean, it's Andy Stanley's thing of, of do for one, what you wish you could do for many. And that, that actually is, is a good theory, you know, like, because what happens in the early days when it's five of us sitting around the table and then it becomes 20 and then it becomes a hundred and everybody starts to say, remember when yeah. we actually were buddies and pals and we like went on vacation together and yeah. And that's not true anymore. Like I, you, there's only a certain level to which you can, you can, um, you know, deliver yourself in contextual friendship or relationship with other people. So figure out what that circle is for you and then be really intentional about that circle. And then, but that's cultural. So now that starts to pass down and it starts to, that starts to become the, the fabric of the organization. Yeah. But it, here's what it also doesn't mean. Cause every one of those 500 people or a thousand people, you know what they expect from you as the leader access. Yeah. Way more than ever, way more than ever. And this is not just true for people who you pay. It's true for 
movements. It's true for organizations that yeah. have thousands of customers. When I call Delta today as a Diamond Medallion member, I expect to talk to somebody who's really high up the food chain. Yeah. And I don't, I don't, I don't dislike the customer service person who is just answering the call in some call center. But my expectation is that I have access to Ed Bastion. Yeah. Now, do I know Ed? No, but I've, that's my, that's my expectation today because digital has changed the conversation. Mm. I, if I want to reach out to Shaquille O'Neal, I just like DM him on Twitter. <laughs> now, does that mean we're buddies? No, but that's right. the expectation. Right. So we have to, it, it, it requires leaders to have more availability. So if you're hiding behind like 17 layers of assistance and passcodes and it's harder to get into your office yeah. leader than it is to, you know, get into like the federal reserve bank. <laughs> that's a problem Yeah, because people want to feel like they have a sense of, Oh, I'm friends with you, even though I don't ever talk to you. Right. And pastors, like if you're a pastor and you're leading, you know, a church of, let's say it's 2000, Brad, I can't talk to everybody. No, but you can come out after your sermon and sit or stand down in the front and high five 10 people. Cause you know what happens when you high five 10 people? That is, that's creating a, a, an environment that says, Oh, our pastor is accessible. Right. If I wanted to, right. I could go talk to him or her. That's perceived access in, in some ways equally as important. And it doesn't mean that you stand back and talk to 2000 people, but it does mean that you're, you're showing that sense that I'm available. I want to, I want to jump back real quick. Cause there's something that you said that I want to maybe just get your thoughts on is that when we were talking about like the, the having yes, people underneath you, and then actually how to you speak truth appropriately uh, and have those people in the room who do speak truth appropriately, especially for me as someone who is a three and an ENTJ, which is a dangerous combination there to also kind of add being a, a, being a contrarian and always kind of wanting to be a little bit skeptical about things. How do you do that appropriately? Um, and how do leaders actually see the people who are doing it appropriately and go, they're actually doing it well, even if it's something I disagree with. Well, let's, let's talk about when, when have you done that inappropriately? Oh, a lot. Well, let's talk about like (laughs) one of your, one of the examples. Oh, oh man, off the top of my head, I don't know if I've got like a specific example. I just know me, like I know it, my natural inclination is to kind of look at something and go, this is all wrong. Yep. Everything needs to change. Yep. We've, we're doing it terrible. Here's exactly how I would do it if it was me. So if, if I'm leading you, yeah. then first of all, I need to know that that's the, naturally, that's, that's the way you're naturally wired. Yeah. Your view and mindset and perception of reality is always going to lean that way. Yeah. But I actually want to, I want you to speak that truth into the context of the conversation. Now it's different when you're giving me personal feedback compared to giving, giving organizational feedback. Those are different. If I'm in a staff meeting or I'm in the executive team meeting and you throw me under the bus personally, now we're going to fight. Yeah. Not fight fist fight, but we're (laughs) like, you've now like you've, you've now um, created an environment. Yes. Compared to do that with me privately. Now You, you come to me and say, Hey, um, can I, can I give you a few things? Can I give you a few areas of feedback that I've noticed recently that, um, I think will help you lead better. Yeah. When you say that to a leader, the average leader, if they're average or above average in their leadership, they're going to go, yes, please. Thank you. Finally, for somebody showing up and actually helping me lead better compared to just blowing smoke up my 
skirt or jeans or um, so it it all depends on the context. But I need to pull that out of you. Yeah. If I'm the leader. And again, the, the more I see it, the more I want to encourage it. It's just like conflict on a team. Yeah. Most people avoid it like the plague. In fact, just the opposite. Like I want people to be in healthy conflict is part of a team because yeah. tension actually makes things healthy and it helps things grow. Um, but it has to be based on trust. Right. Do we trust each other? Do we truly at the end of the day, like believe the best in each other and we're all for the vision? Yeah. So conflict based on trust creates great um, exchange of ideas, which leads to the best idea. Conflict based on distrust is what government looks like mm. in its worst yeah. form, yeah, 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 which yeah. is I'm going to take you out. Right. I'm going to, it's all transactional. My job is it's scarcity mindset. If, if I remove you from the equation, that means I win. Yeah. Like that's, that's conflict based on distrust, but healthy organizations. I mean, if you walk into cultures and teams that we would all sort of say are the best in the world, you'll notice these kind of things happening. You'll, yeah. you'll notice the, that you you walk in and go, wow, like in some ways I feel like those people don't even like each other. Yeah. No, they, they are willing to fight for the idea because they know that we're all in this for the best idea wins because it's a trust culture. Yeah. Which I love because I think I, so many people that I know are afraid to speak up because they're afraid to speak up and say, I think there's something wrong here because they feel as if, oh, if I speak up, I'm gone. I'm done exactly. for. I'm, this is this is over. And then that creates just a negative environment for people who can't actually speak that out and go, hey, what's going on with this? Or, hey, how do we handle this? And you know where you speak it out? You speak it out after the meeting to each other in the gossip center. Yeah, yeah. So where no one grows and no, no. one learns, and that's all, and it's not better for the government. Uh, no. For the government, it's not better for the organization. <laughs> for that, but, it, but it's <laughs> and all, the government too. We're talking politics today. That's all in the shadows. Where you know, I mean, that's all in the places where it doesn't help. That's just sideways energy. Yeah. Compared to no, actually, say the thing, <laughs> say the thing that you're telling somebody else. Say that to the person you actually needed to say it to. Yeah. Or the leader that you needed to say it to. But you have to be appropriate. It's appropriate, helpful feedback loops. And I mean, all of this, again, it goes back to trust. And I mean, Pat Lencioni's book, The Advantage, is one of the best books on this particular topic that I've read to date. Yeah. And he, you know, he wrote The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. He's written a bunch of, of great books on organizational culture. But that book, The Advantage, there, there's so much in there around this particular topic. I, that would be one book I'd recommend everybody picking up. Besides H3 Leader. Well, That's and, right. and pick, pick that one up too. Yeah. I actually, unfortunately First. I have to go to class. I want to keep just talking. Uh, what class are you going to? Uh, Christian thought and practice. Okay. Yeah. Sophomore level introduction theology class. Now we didn't talk any theology here or did we talk all theology? That's the question. Ooh. Huh? <laughs> we'll leave that for the next session. <laughs> Come on. But before we go, um, how can our listeners connect with you or, you know, I know you've got a couple books, so maybe kind of throw all, those out there. All the normal outlets, uh, just, you know, go buy the cattle seeder or H3 leadership. Those are the books. Yeah. Bradlominick.com. All the social media follows are just first and last name, but I'm a terrible follow these days. Cause I don't really post much. I'm oh, listening. I'm, I'm, with you. I'm yeah. listening way He's more in the than, shadows like Darkwing Duck. I'm listening way oh, more gosh. than talking. <laughs> well, uh, Brad, thank you so much for, uh, yeah, jumping in the room with us and having a conversation. This is a great conversation. I loved it. I loved it. Hopefully there was one thing in there that was helpful for you as a leader. 1%. Just one. No, just 1%. one thing. Yeah. Take one thing away. 
What's your one thing? 1%? 1% better. Yeah? Definitely 1% better. My, my, I can get one second faster on the bike. I can get, exactly. I can run a minute faster. It's doable, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is, well, I don't know about a minute faster, but maybe well, a but couple you, seconds. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a huge formula one nerd. Oh, me right? too. Oh, are More you recently. Really? Have you watched the Netflix oh, yes. documentary I have. drive to survive? We have a lot to talk oh, about. Brad recommends on the because, old drive to survive Netflix documentary because of formula one, uh, Mercedes. Like, I mean, they just won their sixth yes. uh, championship where they've got the constructors, which means like the car itself, the, the team won their championship and a driver is going to win the championship. Yes, and that's Hamilton. a sixth time in a row. Oh, you know, don't give, don't let Valtteri, you know, there's a chance. There's no. a small chance. Listen, uh, Hamilton. Hamilton's the man. But the, their their CEO was just talking about. I mean, he was asked how how have you done it? How have you gotten six in a row? And he literally just said incremental increase. That's just it. everything, every little area. If you just have a little incremental increase, which I know is the same with uh, the national team for uh, England here when it comes to their uh, bicyclist or cyclist yeah. team, right? Mm-hmm. Just incremental yeah. increases make the world of difference. How do we take the pit stop from 2.6 seconds to 2.58 seconds? Which is insane that it's that quick already. And they're asking for a quicker. That's doable. I can drop 0.02 seconds off my pit stop time, but that's the difference between many times yeah. winning and losing. Yeah. One. Yep. Oh gosh. I, I just want to talk about formula one, one second, now. One second, one degree better. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again, Brad. For and so they much have for more money. Here. Mercedes oh, has well, a lot more money true. than the that rest does, of them too. That does really help. Yeah. Uh, but you know, Ferrari's got a lot of money and they're, that's not, true. they're not doing it. They are, but they're not. Uh, thanks again so much for being uh, with us. Uh, loved it. Hopefully we'll chat soon.